listen, I know we need to talk about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Amazon and this very bad budget deal, but I have some things of much deeper concern to start. We're going to do that on today's Corey Truax Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening, and I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening to you and me. I've come to recognize two things that are concurrently true. One is I get the opportunity to have a show on Christian Talk 660 WLFJ because of what was previously my political commentary. And concurrent to that fact, I recognize that that is a sub-genre of entertainment, the same way some people like to talk about sports or hear sports talked about, the same way there are those that like to hear, I don't know, flipping houses being talked about, of all the different genres of things, uh, uh, financial management is is another that politics is sports for some people, and some of it matters, and I want to get there. A lot of what you guys send me is political in nature. But you do keep coming back to a show that puts politics on the back burner, and it's certainly going to go on the back burner, which means later in the show today. My name is Corey Truax. I'll be your host for the hour. Thank you for joining us here on the podcast, wherever you are listening, or if you're listening live on Christian Talk 660. I mean this. I'm grateful that you give us your time. You have a ton of things you could listen to while you're doing whatever you're doing. And when you spend time on this show, it means a ton. We're dedicated to smarter, deeper, better talk about everything here on the Corey Truax Show. And I am also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets at our at our property now on 123, leaving easily, going into Greenville, 123, Beachwood Church, 1030, Sunday mornings, you are invited. And speaking of Beachwood Church, he doesn't know I'm going to, but I'm starting today with our own pastor. I don't know what kind of preaching you're hearing. I don't know what sermon you got Sunday, but boy, I got a good one. We've been going through the book of Genesis. We're now in chapter 3 talking about the consequences of the fall. And our pastor, Doug, really did a masterful job of mapping out the tempter, Satan, his strategy in regards to the temptation of Eve, and how that is often a model for how Satan tempts us. And one of those ways is just this distrust. And one of the things that Satan says there to Eve is, did that, is that really what God said? He, he, he plants this seed of, isn't God keeping you from something? Isn't he trying to deprive of you of something? Getting her to believe, whatever God has for you, I know this, it's not what's best. You can't trust that whatever he is depriving you of, as it were, you know, don't, don't take of this one tree. It's not what's best for you. Something else would be better for you. You can't just be invited to trust that God has Whatever is best in mind, you should distrust. And Doug just did a great job. I could play for you that part of the sermon where he he does exemplify from Scripture, he does solidify from Scripture, that whatever season we are in, if you are in the throes of depression, you are mountain high right now, or wherever in between, that right now, wherever you are, that's the best place for you. That's hard to trust. That's hard to believe. Guys, I struggle with it. But as he said that, and just established it from Scripture, primarily in Romans 8, that just washed over me. 
where I am is the best place as measured by what's going to make me more like Jesus. And so I want to play for you now a little clip of that sermon. I just happen to be recording it on my phone. It's not great audio in terms of quality, but there's some good points being made here. It's really about how the the culture around us disciples us. The culture is discipling you. Matt Chandler talked about once, Pastor Matt Chandler from Village Church, a stat that the average American sees over 300 advertisements per day. So that's on your phone, on radio, TV, as you ride down the road, over 300 advertisements per day. And most of the time, an advertisement's messaging is, you're not happy until you have this. You're not complete. You don't have a great life. You won't have a great life until you get this product, until you have this meal, until you take this vacation. Until you own this thing, you won't actually be happy. And so here is a culture discipling us about how life should be about how relationships should look, about how vacations should look and finances should look and how your home should look and how your family should behave, how you should feel about yourself. The the culture discipling you in how to think. That's an important word for it. Because here we are in the Christian world, we think about discipleship. We, We are trying to help people, ourselves and others, think more like Jesus. Well, the world is out there trying to disciple you. They're not trying to do it in a way that is nefarious, it's just the natural inclination of the heart of man to disciple you in, in things that are lies, to lie to you about what you should expect out of life. And Doug makes this great point about our, our minds and our expectations and how we've been discipled by the world. This is Pastor Doug Truax from Beachwood Church. These, these questions, who told you that that love was supposed to look like what Hollywood portrays to us. Who told you that? Who told you that there's supposed to be so much romance and dating and, and movies and vacation? Who told you that stuff? Where did, where did you get that? It's not here. It's not for the majority of history, for the, the majority of people through, from down throughout time. Where did you get that from? Who told you that you needed a new nice car with low miles and no dents, no dings? Who told you that? Who told you that you need a, a big fancy house with a bedroom for every one of your kids and a lot of room in the living room for the kids to play and a, and a play? Who told you that? Most people around the world live in a shack or under a bridge. Who told you you needed a house that's bigger than, than what you've got? Who told you you needed a different job? that allows you to have you know, prestige and, and career advancement? Who told you you needed more, more money and a bigger retirement? Who told you that? That's good, man. Who told you that you're even entitled to take a vacation? Mm. Who told you those things? Good, brother. Wow, that is good stuff. Do you know the answer to that? The world did. Why am I so disappointed I don't have more? Why do I expect I was going to have more? Because the world said you would. Why did I expect the relational thing in my life, the marriage, the dating thing to go different? Well, why did you expect that? What what were you expecting? That wasn't a promise God made. That's something you were discipled in by the world. Why did you expect a certain retirement and a a certain car and a certain house and a certain certain prestige? Why did you expect any of those things? Well, those weren't the promises of God. That's just what the American dream sold you. Can I remind everybody that the American dream is not the gospel? Prosperity is not the gospel? 
And it is this great question. Doug was not drawing a parallel between what Satan says to Eve and his question there, but it is the, the question of, you know, did, did God say? And then God asked them a question, well, who told you you were naked? Now, here's, here's just a great question for us in our temptations and how we feel so discontent and how we, I, I, I say we because I want to include me, how we just don't trust that wherever God has us is the best place for us. It's because we've been discipled by a system that is nothing that has nothing to do with biblical theology. Who told you those things? Good, brother. It wasn't God. It's not in the Word. And, and, and if you've been coming to the small groups, I think one of the most profound things that really hit me that Matt Chandler said is we are being constantly... And then there Doug actually goes makes the point I made a minute ago, which I stole from him, <laughs> about how the world disciples us through advertisement. But it is a good question for you if you are, like me, maybe going through a time of a disappointment. You ask that question. Who told you you're going to have anything different, man? And then trust this, that God has actually made the promise, wherever you are, even in this disappointment, that's where you need to be. That's what's going to work out best for you. And then you just have to ask yourself the question, do you trust your father? Do you trust that he knows better than you? And the older we get, the more pride we have, and the more knowledge we accumulate, it's hard to trust that God knows best for us. But he does. You can trust your father. Which brings me to one illustration. We'll finish this first segment, come back, and maybe do some newsy things. I got to be a dad, sort of, to two nephews when I was 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. I lived in the same house with them. Not often, but I changed a diaper or two. I did some feeding. I certainly was the dad character in the playfulness uh, the, the wrestling, and even taking them, taking them out to do things. Uh, it has been the greatest joy of my life to have played that dad role for that period of time for those two boys who are now taller than I am, bigger, stronger than I am at 14 and 15 years old. But I remember having one of them outside very early on in life, probably five or six years old, just learning to ride a bike. Maybe, Caleb, was 40 pounds. I don't know. Probably less. And he's riding his bike up the road, and I I was a little bit overprotective. I, I tend to stay fairly close. I definitely always want him in sight. That's how I was. And we're in, a, in easy South Carolina. It's a quiet little suburban road. And he's going up a good bit ahead of me. I'd call it 50 yards. But I can see him, and we're on our quiet little road. Everything's fine. There was a person who lived on the same street who opened their door, going inside. They were carrying some groceries, if I remember. I mean, this is you know, 10 years ago. And I remember, because I'm 50, year, 50 yards out, I have such a panorama of what's taking place. Here's Caleb just happily going up and down the street. Doesn't know any better. All he knows to do is pedal and have a good time. You were being five or six on your bike. It's just a great day. And when that neighbor opens their door, a giant German Shepherd comes out. Had to be 80 or 90 pounds. D- at least double what Caleb weighed. And that German Shepherd I'd actually seen was super nice. Like one of the Super nice dogs. And what this German Shepherd sees is not a problem with Caleb. What he sees, hey, look, a kid riding a bike. I'm going to go play with that kid because that's what dogs do. Dogs are great. And I saw it coming. That dog is full speed. That neighbor's trying to call that dog back. Caleb doesn't see what's coming. He's just pedaling along happy. 
and there is a collision. That dog just demolishes Caleb. Just knocks him right off. Caleb goes sliding on the ground. And the moment I saw the whole thing start, I was already in a sprint. You know, I was going to, I knew what was coming, so I was sprinting towards Caleb. And what I recall very vividly is Caleb, once he hits the ground, his immediate instinct is he was looking for me. He wasn't looking at the dog. He wasn't looking at his bike. His immediate instinct was, in this case, find dad. Here's what I could take from that story, guys, and as, as we try to get this idea of, do, do you trust that your father is good? I've been Caleb in life, and man, in the last two months I have been. I have been demolished by a dog, as it were. I've been knocked off my bike, just sliding on the pavement. But you know what my problem was, and the problem for a lot of us is? We get up and we try to fight the dog. We get up and we try to fix the bike. We get up and we try to understand what happened. I lean on my own understanding. In all my ways, I acknowledge me and my talents and my abilities and my potential. And I direct my paths. It's the opposite of Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. What we know, what we need to do, what I need to do, the next time I get demolished, knocked off my bike, as it were, just get up and find the Father. Get up and look up. He's there. The comfort is there. It is real. I could, and I probably will sometime soon, tell you some of the stories of the last two months of ways in which the God of the universe providentially ministered to me through people and circumstance, through the word, through prayer. We'll come back and do some news, but let me start there today. Be content. When, you, when you're not content, what you're really finding is that the world has discipled you and in its discipleship, you've not asked, what, the, what, what does the Father want? Or what is, is the Father's heart for me good, even when I feel deprived of what I want? Trust where you are. And if you're like me last couple months, you don't like where you are, I have come to trust. It just happens to be the best spot for me right now. Get up when you get knocked down. And look for the Father. We'll be back with less of, the, less of these things and more of the normal new stuff of talk radio. In just a moment, stick with us for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. Glad you're here. You can connect to the show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat. Look for me, Corey Truax. You'll find me there. That's because my name is weird. There's only one of me, much like Winnie the Pooh's Tigger. Also, the Facebook fan page, if you would like that page, that'd be helpful. Follow on Instagram if you haven't done that already. I've been doing a lot more on Instagram, and so if you would, be so kind. That's where the kids are. The kids aren't on the Facebook. The kids are on the gram. So, yeah, if you would be so kind, come on over there. Okay, after the very serious first segment, let me get us a, a transitional story. Last week, we spent a ton of time on this issue with the Southern Baptist Convention 
and uh, the verified hundreds of sexual predators, sexual misconduct, cases of sexual misconduct. And I just wanted to highlight the response thus far. That J.D. Greer, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, I think has done a great job. Uh, Let us not be people that always assume everything's going to be terrible, nothing can ever be better, this is a terrible way to live, it's a miserable way to live, it's also a hopeless way to live, and Christians are people of hope. And J.D., or Pastor Greer, has done a great job. He went on CNN just a couple weeks, a couple days after the story broke, and he said all the things I'd want him to say. He talked about it with severity and seriousness and some of the potential consequences. Just a couple highlights. I love that he brought up Luke 17. J.D. Greer says, Jesus says, it's better to have a you know a stone tied around your neck and you're thrown into a sea, it's thrown into the ocean, then mess with a kid. Ooh, that's good. Say that stuff. That needs to that needs to be the the, the posture. If you have hurt a child, then yeah, this is a the, the fate of you should be severe. That's what that's what Jesus' words were. Uh, he did a good job of explaining how technically there can't be censure from the convention to churches who hire the wrong kind of people or are not or who are not being. Uh, responsible in their hiring practices, but he did mention having those churches thrown out. That was actually what I said last week, right? Maybe J.D. Greer listens to the podcast. I said the thing that we should be saying is that if you don't submit to some standards in regards to who you hire, if we find that you are not reporting things that you should have reported, then yeah, you're out. You're out of the convention. There's at least some kind of consequence to those actions. He was humble in that interview uh, that this happened. This happened to the Catholics. He didn't try to uh, demure. To say it wasn't wasn't as bad. Uh, he did a great job. I mean, so as discouraged as I was last week, and I still am. It's horrible. It's horrible. What's happened? I've got a lot of hope that we have the right leadership and that we can address it in a way that's humble and repentant, and then set up structures of accountability to keep such things from happening again. Okay, so that's uh, our little transition story from churchy stuff into now some straight news. I want to play for you some audio from the esteemed Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who I mentioned last week, maybe it was two weeks ago. I don't remember when I said it, but I just declared really clearly she's dumb, she has a low IQ, and she proves it with some audio. So if you didn't hear the story, Amazon announced late last year that they were going to be building their two new big centers uh, in Washington, D.C. and New York City, or at least Northern Virginia and then in Queens. And the Queens location is no longer going to be there because some enterprising New Yorkers thought that having a place provide 20,000 jobs was a terrible idea. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was one of those enterprising New Yorkers because who wants all those jobs up there? But specifically her and their their beef was kind of my beef. I don't like giving away anything for a company to come, especially for one company, when it's a an environmental thing. Like, we're going to give you a tax environment just for you. The other companies can't uh, cannot get this deal because you're so big and you're so bad. You're the only one that gets the deal. I don't like that kind of stuff. That's not capitalist. It's a cronyism. It's not a capitalism. Nevertheless, that's what she... Uh, what's complaining about, and she has this audio here of her kind of celebrating, spiking the ball. We scored, you know. We got, we got out. We we get, we didn't let that Amazon company come in here and give us all those jobs. And so here's Alexandria Ocasio Cortez being super proud of herself. We'll get to the details here in just a moment. 
think it's incredible. I mean, it shows that everyday Americans still have the power to organize and fight for their communities. Yes, we get, we have the power to organize. I cannot wait to band together with other Americans to make sure that my town doesn't get a place that provides 25,000 jobs. Communities, and they can have more say in this country than the richest man in the world. We could invest those $3 billion in our district ourselves if we wanted to. We could hire out more teachers. We can fix our subways. We can put a lot of people to work for that money if we Oh, honey, pumpkin. That's not how any of this works. What she's referring to is that what New York City offered Amazon was $3 billion in tax breaks. As in, taxes they should pay, they won't pay. They're going to keep those $3 billion over a period. I think it was over 10 years. And here's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez demonstrating she is dumb. She does not know how things work. Her reaction is, well, we'll get to spend those $3 billion on some other stuff, on our subways or our schools. No, Pumpkin, that's not how it works. Those $3 billion aren't yours. Those are Amazon's dollars. They're going to keep them, okay? And so instead of you not taxing them, and not having the jobs, or excuse me, not taxing them, but having the jobs, now you will not tax them and not have the jobs. You know what you also won't have? Honey pie? Honey bun? I don't know what else to call you. You know, here, here I'm trying to think of other demeaning names, but hey, AOC, you won't have the $3 because that's not how it works, honey. They keep their dollars now. But great job, AOC. They, you kept Amazon out. At some level, I, I don't mind some of the reasoning there, but I do mind the utter idiocy of thinking now you hold on to $3 billion. That's not how any of that works. Okay, another story from this last week that I wanted to get to because I think this is goes to one of my themes, right? So one of the themes of the show is it's that small minds talk about people and media minds talk about current events, but it's the big minds that talk about ideas. This story from Jesse Smollett, Jesse Smollett, I don't know how to say his name, he's an, he's an insignificant person. It, it's a person, that's a small-minded thing to talk about. There's some events around him, those are medium minds, but then there's some, there's some ideas behind it that we need to get to. So first, let's talk about them in order, the small-minded things. Jesse Smollett, uh, I don't know how to say his name. I know that it's spelt weird. It's spelled, it's spelled like Jesse, but with a U instead of an E. So I'm just going to go with Jesse. Jesse Smollett is an actor on a show called Empire. I've never seen Empire. It, From what I understand, it is very popular amongst African Americans and a broader audience, but it's a mostly black starring show. has to do with the music industry in some way. And he was a supporting character, not even one of the main characters on the show. Lives in Chicago. He is a black man and a gay man. Those are the two things about him. So that's the person, the medium-minded thing. Here's the events. You have him out at 2 in the morning in Chicago, sub-zero weather, literally under zero degrees Fahrenheit. Goes to Subway, which, by the way, what are you doing going to Subway? What a terrible choice, man. You're on TV. You have dollars. Why are you? Subway is gross. But anyway, that was his midnight snack the decision. He's walking around Chicago. He claims that two 
people attack him, put a noose around his neck, call him the N-word, call him the F-word, the one that is a slur for gay people, pour bleach on him, beat him. This is his story. Now, there's a couple problems from the beginning. So there's the, that is uh, some of the events, the medium-minded things. Now, here's some other medium-minded things. Oh, yeah, the other thing they yelled. They were yelling at him also. This is MAGA country. Make America Great Again country? Right, we all know I'm not a MAGA fan. But let me tell you a place that's not MAGA country. Chicago. That is a very non-MAGA place. So you have this this tale that he weaves. So the the cops start doing their investigation. They're in Chicago. There's lots of uh, footage, you know, outdoor security cams, things like that where we can find Jesse Smollett walking down the street with his Subway uh, sandwich. You can find him the entire way. He's only out of camera for 30 seconds. When he comes back into camera, he has the noose on his neck. Now, here's all the other weird stuff he does. He goes home. He's there for a while. Uh, He then calls the police after many hours. He still had that Subway sandwich, which, by the way, if I'm attacked by a hate crime, I think, I don't know. I mean, Especially for Subway, because it's not that good. Maybe Firehouse. I think I leave the sub. In any event, immediately I was suspicious of the story. It has now been verified that he has set up the whole thing. Two other guys on Empire. There were two Nigerian guys, or at least extras or some kind of, in some way involved with the show Empire. They did it. Like, they put the noose on him and splashed some bleach somewhere. Because, by the way, that's also, (laughs) it's a weird crime. Because you don't know that Jesse Smollett is going to be out at two in the morning going to Subway, so you're you're having to expect there's these two MAGA country guys. They're just walking around Chicago with a noose and some bleach, and they're specifically, you know, they yelled at him the N word and he says the F word for gay people. Uh, no one knows you're gay, man. I mean, you're, he's an openly gay person, but I don't listen. I'm a young person, uh, sort of. I am more the demo for the demographic for Empire than MAGA country people. I wouldn't have known who he was. That guy could walk walk up to me on the street. I would have no idea the guy was on TV, much less that he was on the show Empire. So it was always implausible, and now it's been proven totally false. So if these are the small and medium-minded things, that's who it is and that's the events, what are the big ideas? There's at least two. One, we reward victim status. This is a problem in our culture. Jesse Smollett knew he could be more famous, he could have a higher profile if he could only be a victim. If something bad would happen to him, he could have more notoriety. And so he tried to create a scenario wherein he could get sympathy and notoriety by his status of victim. This is not the only example. We see this with some regularity with stories that go viral on Facebook. Some local ABC, NBC, CBS, or Fox affiliate will pick up a story of a, uh, let's go with a lesbian uh, waitress. I remember this one. And someone doesn't tip her and writes on the receipt, I don't agree with your lifestyle, and doesn't tip the woman. Or writes a Bible verse on it and doesn't tip the woman. And then after further investigation, we find out she just did it. She just wrote it down on the receipt. Because why? Why? Because it means something. I get to be a victim. A bad thing happened to me, so everyone feels sorry for me. That's who I get to be. Listen, I know folks like this in my own personal life. They find value, they find identity in being the victim. They find satisfaction in people feeling sorry for them, and we've created a culture that apparently values 
victimhood. And so we go about the business of trying to create ourselves as victims as to gain notoriety, fame, sympathy. And for anyone to think about us, we start to try to create ourselves as victims. So that's the big idea. One big idea behind Smollett is that we are a victim culture. So what do we do about that? Well, don't do that with your kids. You don't reward them for trying to get your attention through victimhood. You don't reward the kid who has the uh, the worst thing happen to them with the most attention. Like, this is not a thing we want to do. We don't want to, we don't want to reward victim status with a ton of attention because we want to be creating in people, inculcating in people some idea of independence uh, that you can overcome your own victim status, that you can overcome those things that harm you and hurt you. And so that's one. We have a victim culture, and that's what led Jesse Smollett to do this is because he needed to find purpose in his life by being the victim of something that, by the way, didn't even happen to him. It just didn't happen, but he wanted it to happen. I think we've all probably had that. I mean, I know I've had that in some of my darkest moments where you almost wish something bad would happen so as to garner the, uh, the sympathy of others. Well, this is a broader cultural problem that we need to fix. Number two, the big idea behind the Jesse Smollett story. It is a further exposure of a, the national media and its bias. Immediately, immediately, the story was suspect. Holes everywhere. That he was beaten, had bleach thrown on him, a noose around his neck, and he walks away with his Subway sandwich. And all of that took place in 30 seconds with... In Chicago, with someone uh, walking around at 2 in the morning, sub-zero temperatures with bleach and the news, happens to find a guy who ha- who is black and gay, calls him the N-word and the F-word. Like This is a, a, to- a story that proves too much. This is a, a legal argument that sometimes you have an argument that proves too much, and therefore it's a bad argument. This was a story that proves too much. It's like the thing the left wants to be true. They just want it to be true that there's MAGA hat-wearing, Uh, bands of marauders that are just looking for minorities and gay people to beat, bleach, and put nooses on. This is something that that Kamala Harris and Cory Booker and Elizabeth Warren and Nancy Pelosi, they were all tweeting about because they want it to be true of America. And because the media is the left, they are the same thing, this fit the narrative. It's something they want to be true of America. It's something they want to know that they're right about. They think America's full of racist bigots. And so when they find a story that might be able to establish that they are right, that America is full of racist bigots, they just run and report it. And now they're all very embarrassed and having to retract the story because it matched their narrative. They ran the story. The same thing happened a few weeks a few weeks ago with those MAGA hat wearing kids. I said, I'm not, a, again, not a Trump guy, not a MAGA guy. I don't like that guy at all. But the narrative fit. White kids, smirking at a native guy, no one cared to get the details, just run it, just report it. This fits our narrative. This is where we are. And so the Jesse Smollett story matters because of who he is and the events that took place. But you have these deeper stories that the media has now established itself even further with the bias of if the narrative of the story fits what we want to be true, we're going to say it and we're not going to take the time to fact check it. We should actually be encouraged that the story is false in a couple ways. One, that the story is false. I don't want that to happen to anybody. I don't know Jesse Small it is. I don't, doesn't, I don't need to know who he is to not want him to be lynched. But it should be encouraging in this way. If they're having to 
manufacture these experiences, it's because they're not there. Or at least they're unbelievably rare. This doesn't happen anymore. Guys, that's good. That there aren't people being beaten just because of their race or beaten because of their sexuality, that's good. And then we go about the business of trying to create and manufacture these stories so that we can think our secular leftist narrative is correct. And the media should take these last couple months as uh, instructive. Stop assuming your metropolitan left-wing secular progressive view is naturally the right one. And check this, be curious enough to actually gain the facts and do the investigation. When we come back, I want to talk about the budget deal that the President of the United States signed. I hope to get to a couple other headlines, and then we will talk sports with Heath. Come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. I think I have just two stories to go, and then we will move on to sports. First, I had a listener, Wayne. Hi there, sir who asked about the budget deal that Trump signed that had like one point something billion for uh, for 55 miles of wall. It, you know, raises the deficit, raises the debt. Democrats got a lot of what they wanted. Generally, I, don't, I think what Wayne wanted was just my opinion. And it's only this. That was the deal that Jeb Bush would have signed. That's a Jeb Bush deal. That's a... I'm trying to think of a that's a Lindsey Graham deal. I think uh, trying to think of other like left-ish, you know, middle, middle. Uh, John Kasich, he signed that deal. And that's more of what I expected from the president I, when he was elected. You know, I, I said last week I gave him a lot of credit that it's been much more conservative than I anticipated when it comes to policy. But the this particular thing is more what. It's what I would have predicted. You know, someone would have predicted, well, actually, not someone, me. Like, I said, you can go back to the archive. I said, when he was elected, there will never be a bit of wall built. Like, it's not happening. That's just a thing he said. He barely believes it. Like, it's, it's funny, you know, if you go back to his, um, I dare you, go back to his declaration speech. Like, when he went down the escalator and he gave his, uh, his he declared I'm running for president. He mentioned drugs and the wall. He actually didn't m- mention the wall at all. He just mentioned drugs and illegal immigration. Someone did the math on it once. It was like 11 or 12% of the speech. It just happened to be the part that the media caught. So the media actually drove this. He did talk about how Mexico sends. Mexico doesn't send their best. They send their drugs. They send rapists. I think some, maybe two Mexicans are decent people. Like it was that kind of thing. And it was because he did that, the media jumped on the anti-immigrant sentiment and, you know, I've, I've stolen from Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro rightly says of Donald Trump, he's a hammer. He's in search of a nail. Sometimes he hits a baby. That's not good. Sometimes he hits a nail. That's great. And so Trump found that the best nail to hit is the media. People like it. His people love it when he hits the media. And so he hit the media. The media wanted to start a fight on immigration. He said, okay, fine. I'll start a fight on immigration. Build the wall. And then he comes up with the border security thing. So he barely ever thought about it his whole life. And so the idea that he was going to come in and be a warrior for the wall. No. That's not. That was never going to be a thing. And it's not. You're, he declares emergency. And he said, actually sang. He sang in the Rose Garden what I said would happen. You know, I said he's going to go declare emergency. He'll be sued. 
And the way he said it is, and we'll be sued, and we'll go to the court, and we'll get a bad ruling, and then we'll go to the next court, and we'll get another ruling, we'll be the Ninth Circuit. And then he kept singing it, and I was like, hey, quit. Don't sing. Just talk. But he declares national emergency. It will go probably at least to a circuit court. I don't know if the Supreme Court takes it up. But he's going to be told, no, by the judges that you can't, which is good for the Constitution, by the way. I want the wall. I want a big, beautiful wall with a big, beautiful door and all that stuff, he said. I'd love to have an actual physical barrier on the southern border, but you can't do it this way. I mean, if you value, like I do, fidelity to the Constitution and its structures, you cannot declare an emergency in this particular situation. So uh, you want my opinion on that deal? Well, it's a terrible deal, and it's the deal that Jeb Bush would have signed. That's just how that is. Uh, Moving on. Look at the last thing. I think I wanted to do here before the day is done. I had a, this was a Facebook message? Yeah, not not Twitter. It was Facebook. I had a Facebook message from listener named Chad. First time writing into the show. So thanks, Chad, for writing in. He heard me talking about some church stuff, or maybe it was on a social media back and forth. He heard me typing about it, writing about it. He said he's visiting churches where he lives, not around here, and he finds announcements in church to be odd, like distracting. The uh, like the dissemination of information, like here's when our small groups are meeting and here's where you can find the nursery and find the bathrooms and coffee's over here and all that stuff. And he asked basically the question, is there a place for that? Is there a place that once the church service has begun, this actually meeting of the saints together, is there a place for the dissemination of information announcements? And to which, it's funny, he wrote into about this because I've actually struggled with this. As somebody who designs liturgies for a church, designs the order. I struggle with, wh- where does the announcement go? Because you know the uh, the idea for church services in, in one theological circle, the one in which I run, uh, is called the regulative principle. So if you, if you see it in the Bible, you can do it in church. If you don't see it in the Bible, you can't do it in church. And so there's not necessarily recorded details about you know, the rest of the week. And so we we tend to do it at the very top of the service or the very end, almost as if we aren't in the service anymore. Or you know, so before we start or at the end, these are things that we're just going to get disseminated out. Or we just try to put it on the screens when people are coming in, so they can review what's coming up. But I have seen churches. This is disorienting to me. Like the the pastor comes out, like they've been having worship, like there's been songs, and there's been the offering, like there's been acts of worship, and the pastor comes out, he's like, you know, open your Bibles to this, and then spends 10 minutes on, here's all the stuff coming up, let me get you excited about all the stuff we're doing coming up, and it's like, wait, you just broke the entire flow of what's happening, like this this was not the time to disseminate information, you were actually supposed to come up and just continue worship, now worship through the word, instead of worship through song, or worship through giving, or fellowship, or whatever else it was. So, Chad, thanks for writing into the show. I'm actually in total agreement that it is it is a distracting thing to have announcements in the service, and we should be creative, especially with our technological age, with the screens, and what we can hand out, and how fast we can print, to not mess up the flow of the actual worship service, uh, so that we are being faithful to what our God would want from us in those services. Uh, we have run all out of time for serious stuff. We're going to talk sports here in a minute, minute, but if you would be so kind to share the show with others on social media, everywhere you see it, write uh, reviews, rate the show so it helps other people find it. Uh, thanks for listening, and let's move on to sports.
It is the triumphant return of our sports talk. We're going to do that with our sports correspondent. His name is Heath Powell. Hello there, sir. Hello. I am pumped that there's football on my screen in the spring. It's, it's called weird, the Alliance yeah. of American Football. Uh, thus far, your reaction to the quality, but also just to have football in the springtime. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm extremely excited to have football back. Yes. But it's it's legitimate football. It's legitimate competition. You know, you remember years ago when the XFL came out, they tried yeah. to, quote-unquote, reinvent the wheel and compete with the NFL. Well, this is not what the AF is doing. This is a great, I, I hate to call it minor league, but... You know, it's kind of like the NBDL, the development league. I agree. That, that's that, that's what it is to me. Plus, they're legitimate players, guys that we know, guys that I remember from college. I mean, yep. there are legit NFL veterans in this league. Um, I, I love it. Well, Zach Stacy was a thousand yard rusher for the Rams, right? And now he plays in that league. Yeah. Doesn't it have to be a minor league? Like, if if someone tries to compete directly with the NFL, they're going to lose. You're going to get crushed. So the way first of all, America is football centric. We love and it. I don't mean soccer football. I mean yeah. Pigskin football. The NFL is king. I mean, all you have to do is look at the ratings. Yes. Um, th- th- there is no direct competition with the NFL. There's just not. But if you can partner with the NFL, yes. have the NFL involved. These games are on the NFL Network, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's fantastic. You get – There's. say it this way. There's an appetite for football. Yep. Why not someone make some money and fill the, fill the void? Yeah, why not? We go from February to August without it. And there's uh, sports is one of the only ways you can still get good advertising dollars because it's live. Right. I'm even loving the way they do ads. Yeah, I, I do too. It's like a dual screen thing. I like the speed of the game. They've speeded yes. up the play clock. They've they've sped up you know the non kickoff thing, the onside kick rule. Well, you get a fourth and twelve. You make it. You know, you yeah. get the ball back. I like that. Yeah. So I have um because you know I am you yes biased against kickers anyways. You are. I do not like them. The specialists. <laughs> because you play a whole game and all of a sudden the game is dependent upon the foot of a guy that has not been in the entire game. Yeah, it's a... Uh, I just don't like it. It's sometimes frustrating as a football fan. It for, is. For games Unless your team like. makes the kick and they win. The, there is one <laughs> rule they have I don't like. Which is? I do not like that you have to go for two. I I kind of like that. Okay. I, I mean, it is a lot different. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like it makes I think one you play should, matter I think you should get the chance to kick the extra point, but okay. just move it really far back. Okay, something like, like that. Like, make it a 55-yarder. 50, I'm in for a longer extra point. Right. Way longer than even the NFL has. But it just feels like if you don't have a bunch of trick plays in your pocket for, for uh, your two-point conversions. Yeah. Like, I think for me, I just like the difficulty factor of a two-point conversion. It's hard. You don't man. have much room to operate. Yep. You better have a good play, a good scheme. I don't know. Like, I you know I'm in for a little a little – Trickeration? Different yeah. ideas and stuff. You know, I just like that. I also like the idea of them being able to experiment. Like, I've always said I wanted a camera angle behind the quarterback. Right. I'm getting more above camera angles from yeah, them. Yeah, I like that. The NFL can try things and bring it over to the NFL game or maybe the college game. Yeah. I like. I mean, I think if the NFL has an idea, hey, let's. I like how they can send everything to the booth for an, for a review. Yep. If, if it's an, a blatantly missed call on the field, they can change it and it's make better. the call. I like that. Me too. How long before there's a five-star recruit out there? I was going to bring that up. Okay. And we have not discussed this. No. Yeah, we, we don't talk about uh, this. Because I was going to wait till the end and say, the only thing that worries me is okay. this. So, and this is exactly where I was going. The um, what? How much longer, how many seasons, one year, two years from now, that a five-star recruit being recruited by Alabama and Clemson and Michigan decides, I'm going to take the 80 grand a year, I'm going to go play, and the American Alliance for football. It's not far off at all. I don't think Look, so either. If, if this was around when Jadavian Clowney was at South Carolina, for instance, Absolutely. he's gone. He does not come to 
I don't think personally I don't either. I don't think he shows up at South Carolina. I no. just don't. He goes makes money. I think there's some guys that still prefer the pageantry of college football, and yep. I think value education. Yep. So uh, you you take some of these other guys. Uh, I'm trying to think of a South Carolina guy because you mentioned Clowney, but I mean you can go with uh I don't know. We'll take take Richard Sherman. Yep. The great corner for the Seahawks. Yep. He still goes to Stanford. He still goes to Stanford because he yeah. he you know a lot of these guys are the first guys to go to college. that means something to them. Absolutely. But if I'm in a situation where you know I don't necessarily need this degree, I need to make money for my family, I'm gone. Especially that age group because you're you're basically making money off your body. Yep. At 18, 19, 20, these are prime years to be earning money off of your and not abilities. And only that, it's, the, it's, the, it's an opportunity to make generational money. Yes. You can set your kids, your grandkids up for a very long time if you do it correctly. The way this works is they have $250,000 contracts over three years, right? Right. So it's about eighty grand a year yeah. or so. Uh, this can change... In, in most parts of the country, eighty grand's good money. It's good money. Plus, it's just a gateway to the NFL. Yes. If you're a five-star talent and you can prove yourself in the AF, you're obviously going to go high in the draft yep. without having to go to class and academically qualify, blah, blah, blah. And all those three years, you earned eighty grand a year instead of going to class. That's right. You know, If you take it to the, to the Clemson world, like guys like um, Christian Wilkins, I still think, go to college. But guys like Dexter Lawrence, I don't think do. There's this... And every good, these guys get to make their own choice now. Yeah, and I do. like that. I, if I can enlist in the army at seventeen out of high school and get paid to do it and put my life in jeopardy, a, a high school kid graduating at eighteen to play football, this it's just a job. Mm-hmm. It, people miscategorize it as a sport and they think it's super lofty. No, this is a sport you get paid to play and you have a limited time to do it because your body's going to break down. Yep. One because it's a rough game. Yes. So if you have the opportunity to go play and get paid, it's. You put it in the category of a job. Yes. I'm 18. I get recruited for a job. I go take it. I don't have to go to college for it and get paid. Well, why can't they do that? Yeah, if you're a computer programmer. You know, That's like, right. It's just, if I'm a 15-year-old genius at, you know, in California, yeah. I don't need to go to Stanford if Microsoft is going to hire me. Yeah, you're in Silicon Valley. Go get a job. Go get a job and get paid. Okay, so we're both juiced about it. I'm loving watching these games. I love it. Um, I, think, I think it's going to get better as it goes because offense is generally – they get better as the season progresses. Yeah. Right now, the defense is What about Spurrier in Orlando? I forgot about that being a thing. Yeah, very interesting. They're putting up big points. They are. He's got an offensive mind. He always did. He does, man. Um, so, he's a, he's fun to have in that league. Uh, he's a great personality for it. Yeah. You know, he went to the Gamecocks and, went, you know, he, he left on a sour note. But I think he's good for football. I just do. It's, yeah, he's fun. His personality, you know, how he speaks, how he handles the media, all that stuff. I like it. Speaking of the South Carolina Gamecocks, we'll take it to college football for our last five minutes or so. Uh, the recruiting classes are now set. Uh, so uh, for, I'll give you from the South Carolina perspective some recruits. I think they really sh- should be happy about that defensive line is about to get much better. There's right. a five-star guy, Zach Pickens, out of uh, T.L. Hanna. They went out and got um, some edge rushers. One of them's a four-star, one of them's a three-star. Uh, and then one more four-star defensive tackle. Uh, so if you want to – I think Clemson has become the model. Alabama's the model. If you're going to have a good defense, you better have a good line. You have to build it from the inside out. And you they, just do. You will not compete with anybody, much less the Alabama Clemsons, yes. if, if you're not built from the inside out. And that's both lines. Yeah, you can't ask the other parts of the defense to hold on as long. You can't ask linebackers to uh, to stop a run if your defensive line is not good. And so yeah, South, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter if you have a lockdown otherworldly corners. If, you have to, if the line stinks, they're obsolete. Listen, your best corner can't cover for six <laughs> seconds. That's right. Your best corner can cover for four and a half seconds. Right. And you've got to get pressure back there. Uh, so, for the South Carolina fans, that is a uh, a good haul for defensive line talent. When you're coming from a Clemson perspective, who are you most excited about who's about to be wearing orange? I like the running back. 
from Georgia. I don't remember his name. I don't either. Um, but I do remember this though. But the 2020 yeah. class for Clemson is they could have the number one class in the, yeah. and they never have that. Never. And which is a credit to the coaches. They mm-hmm. don't give a rip what the stars are. I think Austin Bryant was a two star. Yep. I think Cleveland Farrell was a three or four. Well, um, who's the guy that played opposite Shaq Lawson, who ended up going to the Buffalo Bills? Kevin, Kevin Dodd. Dodd, is it? Yep. Did, he was like a he one was or not two recruited nobody. by anyone. Yeah, started as a walk on. That's I think. where it comes. The evaluation of the talent. Does this kid have the character we like? Does he have the work ethic we like? And we can coach them up to be elite players. Almost the ACC Defensive Player of the Year. That's right. That's where Dodd ended up being. Um, isn't isn't there a California receiver that everyone's really high on? Ingata. Ingata. Yeah, he's ridiculous. Yeah, just another one of these comes in receivers. But let's not forget about Frank Ladson from Florida. He's also a wide receiver. Another receiver? Yes. Is he one of the tall types or one of these little little? No, dudes? he looks just like Justin Ross and T. Higgins. They all look the same. If you put them in the same number, yeah. you could not tell them apart. That is incredible. They keep finding these guys. I think used to play basketball. Yeah, that's Mike Williams. He's a basketball player. And then there are all. Well, Justin Ross was going to quit football, and his mom exactly. and coach wouldn't let him. Well, these are the body types that played that sport. Yep. And now they're all coming over to this sport. Uh, and it's fun, man, it's fun to watch them rebound a football. It is. It's, you know, they go up, they hand fight with the corner, and they're, you know, eight, ten inches above the, the extended of cornerback. It's just fun to watch. And so that Clemson offense, which was already likely going to be the best in football this coming year, just got better in that recruiting class. Yeah, they keep adding weapons. Or let's just put it this way. They keep adding rounds to the magazine. Yeah, it's and, incredible. And they're not misfiring. That analogy I'm going to steal and start using in my personal life. You should because it's it makes a lot of sense. Rounds to the magazine. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, Please don't call it a clip because we, nobody uses clips anymore. I learned that from you. Yes. I used to say that. I don't anymore. I now, right you know, World War II, there were guns that actually used clips. We don't use those anymore. Right. We all have magazines now. That's right. So I, I've learned <laughs> things. Uh, so we'll come back and talk more, probably more uh, AF next, next week. We'll come back with some more sports next week. Thanks for coming in and doing it. I appreciate it. Until next time, everybody. Peace and love. Hello there again. Just like last week. I tricked you. The show is not over. And the show is not over because there's a very very important thing to do. And that is to point you towards my friends over at Blacktop Media. The best place to find them is on Facebook. Just look for Blacktop Media over there. If you are a business or organization, a brand, a talent even, and you're trying to uh, get your, your brand bigger than it is with more notoriety, maybe you need some help with a website, this is a group of guys and ladies who can be very helpful uh, with that. So if you are, a, again, a church organization business who is struggling with all the things you need to do to uh, to grow that brand and, and, and do some good marketing and have the tools for people to find you, Blacktop Media does a great job of, of helping you with those things. They make it very simple. They're very reasonable. Uh, they're, they're very available. So this is a good set of folks to get involved with to grow your brand, your business, your church your organization. Go find them on Facebook, uh, Blacktop Media. You can also just contact me directly. I'd be glad to point you in their direction. Blacktop Media is the place to go for all of your help with your marketing and brand management needs.